I want to bring in someone who wrote a book about Father Judge that explains not only what happened on that heroic day, and he does so in a, in frankly, in, in a way that's that's as good as as you can really read anywhere. If you want to read thirty or forty pages of just the the heroism that went on that day, and also the remarkable story of Michael Judge, I would recommend this book. Let me welcome in Michael Daly. Michael, so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So the name of the book is The Book of Michael, The Surprising Life and Heroic Death of Father Michael Judge. By the way, how do you spell Michael in his name? M-Y- how did he do that? Yeah. Why? Uh, <laughs> a couple of reasons. Um, he spells it just, just to, to let people know. It's M-Y-C-H-A-L. Uh, right. And you explain in the book, but tell the story. Well, the story is that it started out M-I-C-H-A-E-L. Uh, his, his actual name was Emmett, and when you become a... Friar, you kind of uh, you acquire a new name. His mother wasn't too happy about that, and it started out as M I C H A E L, and he changed it for two reasons. One was that there was a black basketball player named Michael Thompson, I think, and the other was that at the friary chores were listed alphabetically, and there were several Michaels. And just out of his sense of fun, he changed it to M Y, so that he had to do his he didn't have to do his chores until after the other Michaels had. And the uh, and Michael's kind of ultimate. I mean, <laughs> now he is. But that 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 story that tells a little bit about kind of he was a playful guy, wasn't he? He was. I mean, well, you jump ahead after nine eleven. There's all these firemen naming their kids after uh, Michael Judge the fire chaplain, not knowing that. The name came from a black basketball player. <laughs> so before we get to the story, and I want you to tell it about how he came to be Vitality 0001, there's an interesting part in the book where it, in 1986 he crosses paths with two people at the same time that would wind up being very influential in his life, Cardinal O'Connor and Stephen McDonald. And he, if, if I'm reading, if I read the story right, he met them both the same day in 1986. Can you tell that story? It was when Stephen McDonald was a young cop, um, pretty much newly on the job. He's eight months married. His wife is two months pregnant. And on a summer day in Central Park, he walked up on three kids he thought were waiting at the bottom of a hill to rob bicycles. He walked up on them, just uh, took out a shield and said, fellas, you know, police officer, what's going on? What are you doing? And he saw what he thought was a bulge at the cuff of one of the kids. So he bent down to feel it, and then out of the corner of his eye, he saw some movement, and he looked up just in time to get shot in the face by a 15-year-old kid. He then lay on his back, and the kid stood over him and shot him twice more in the face. And uh, he was taken to Metropolitan Hospital, and uh, they said that the officer's not going to make it, but there was a guy named Brian Mulheron who was kind of the eyes and ears of City Hall. He was known as the Night Mayor. And he said, well, if he's going to die, we're going to at least try to give him a shot at Bellevue. So he got the highway closed down and got Stephen down to Bellevue, and he got to Bellevue, and the doctor there said, well, he'd be better off dead. Um. But they managed to keep him alive. Um, but he was paralyzed from the neck down, and he would never again be able to breathe on his own. Um, and at first, he couldn't even talk. But uh, 
when his wife was seven months pregnant, she placed uh, her tummy against the side of his face, which is the beginning of when he could feel anything, and he felt the baby move. And um, at the same time, uh, Cardinal O'Connor was coming in, and at the same time, Michael, the police chaplain, was coming in. He couldn't make it, so it for a few days, and he was filled in by the fire chaplain, and that fire chaplain couldn't get in. So he asked Michael Judge to go up, and Michael Judge went up and um, walked in, and he taught Stephen the prayer of St. Francis, which is Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. And um, that kind of swirled around in Stephen's head, uh, along with the fact that he's going to be a father, and he would think of what he couldn't do now as a father, and that would get him angry, but he didn't want to be an angry father, and then you know, kind of mixed up with Michael Judge and Stephen's own goodness, and he ended up deciding, uh, he mouthed the words, I want to forgive him. And he dictated a letter to uh, his wife that his wife read at the son's christening in Bellevue Hospital. And the letter essentially said, my badge is a badge of compassion, and I forgive the young man who shot me with the hope he can go on and do something with his life. And that was not the most, at the time, was not the most popular move in the New York City history of the New York City Police Department. Uh, a lot of cops were getting killed then. Um, I think eventually he won them over. His message was, uh, love is the way. And that was Stephen. And Michael shared that. And Michael and Stephen became very close. And um, Michael was not so close with Cardinal O'Connor. Well, before you get to that, and, and just to tie these things together, you're going to tell us a little later about the story of the very day, September 11th, but it turned out at the end of his life, was it Stephen McDonald that identified Father Judge's body for the purpose of, of finally declaring well, him deceased? I think that was actually, uh, if I recall correctly, I mean, I wrote the book a while ago, I think there was a detective, Tom Nearney, who was since lost, who uh, identified Michael and actually personally fingerprinted him. That's right. So so at the same time, he meets Cardinal O'Connor, who winds up being a little bit, I don't know, like the yin to, to, to the yang of, of Michael Judge in that this was the, the height of the AIDS crisis. And Father uh, and Cardinal O'Connor was a bit of was a, a, a real. Well, why don't you juxtapose the two of them? You've got Cardinal O'Connor as he dealt with the AIDS crisis. And tell us a little bit about why, long before he was a hero to firefighters, Michael Judge was a hero in the AIDS community and the gay community. Well, he was a hero. I mean, he um, – there was a time when essentially no priest would say funerals. Um, and Michael was one of the very first. And when he – and this was a time when nurses would run in and hold their breasts and put the food down and run out because they didn't want to get this disease. And Michael would introduce himself, but he would walk in and he would start rubbing the guy's feet, which was a way of comforting him and also a way of saying, I'm not afraid. And there was one, I mean, one, there were these stories that would go around that were all true. Um, Michael was at the fiery one day and he got a call from a guy who said, you know, your father, Michael Judge, he said, yeah, he said, uh, my partner thinks God hates him and he's dying. And I wonder if you could come by. So Michael went over and the guy's in a wheelchair. And Michael asked him uh, if he could take communion. And the guy said he thought so. So Michael gave him communion. And then Michael picked him up out of the wheelchair 
and rocked him and sang to him and kissed him on the forehead. Um, there was another instance where there were twins who died of AIDS, uh, and their funeral, they couldn't get a church, so their funeral was held in a rec room in Long Island. And Michael said the funeral mass, and at the end of it, he put his hand over his heart and he started singing God Bless America, and everybody kind of looked at each other, what, is this guy nuts? What Michael was saying is that, you know, it's our country, too. <laughs> and they all started singing God Bless America. Yeah, and it's interesting for you to use that pronoun. You point out in the book that he would frequently slip into using the first-person pearl by saying we when having funerals um, yep. for for, base, for for his AIDS uh, his AIDS ministry or funerals for firefighters. He really saw himself as a member of that community. I know a lot has been made of what his sexual orientation was, but much more importantly, he was seen by that community at a time when they were very, very down on the Catholic Church and on Cardinal O'Connor. He was really seen as almost saint-like in that community. Yeah, he was. And the um, someone once said to Michael's twin sister that Michael should be a saint, and she said, I think he would consider that a demotion. The, uh, <laughs> let me, let me the, ask you about one other community. I, I, I mentioned in, in the opening what a hero he is in a community that I spent time with in with Alcoholics Anonymous and 12-step programs, and he's he's made St. Francis basically a mecca for AA and other 12-step programs. He struggled with alcohol himself, but more importantly, it's the way he viewed his his role, right? I mean, he, he viewed the downtrodden as the reason and the people that were troubled. They, they were the reason that he was – I mean, I think he viewed that as the reason – that was his calling. That was the reason he was here, right? Well, he thought he thought that's the reason we all are here. I mean, Michael's theology was that just as evils to be, the devil's to be found in evil, God is to be found in good, and that our duty is to recognize the good and therefore the God in other people, and by recognizing and responding to it, making it stronger. And that was his, you know. Uh, I mean, and it crossed all denominations. I mean, you know, oftentimes when a couple would come to him uh, with like a Jewish person and a Catholic person would come to him and one of, and the Jewish person was going to convert, convert, Mike would say, no, 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 no. Jews have been around much longer. You have to go the other <laughs> way. And, um, but he, he, I mean, there's a beautiful video. There was a Jewish hard store, hardware store owner from Yonkers whose big wish when he died was to have his ashes scattered by fireboat in um, in New York Harbor. And there's a video of Michael standing on the bow of the fireboat. You can see the Twin Towers. This is in the background, actually. And um, he goes into this thing about uh, God calls us to him. When we die, God calls us to him in accordance to our particular beliefs. In other words, he felt that God calls you when you die. God, Your beliefs determine how God calls you. And so he goes into this long thing about that, and he scatters the ashes, and then you can hear a guy in the background, background go, see you, Morty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, and, or you can walk around, if you walked around Manhattan with him, midtown Manhattan, you'd be one homeless person after another go, Michael, and you go, hey, you Peter. Michael, how you doing, George? I mean, he knew them all. Well, he, you tell, and let's, let me catch up the listeners. We're talking to Michael Daly, the author of the book of Michael, The Surprising Life and Heroic Death of Michael Judge. You know, you talk about that. You tell a very funny little vignette in the story about how he was concerned that the, 
garments that were being collected by the church and redistributed to the homeless were not, they didn't look nice enough. They looked kind of like they made them look like just like bums wearing clothes. And so he insisted that they dressed up. And didn't you tell a story that there was there were complaints from local shopkeepers that they didn't want good-looking homeless people around or something like that? <laughs> something like that, yeah. But, I mean, but, I mean, the main thing was, I mean, I was with him. There's two things that I think say more than anything about him and the homeless was that, one, I was with him in rush hour on 7th Avenue, and this guy came up to him. Michael's in his habit in sandals, and he goes, you a priest? And he goes, yeah, I guess I am. And the guy said, then bless me. So Michael put his hands on the guy's shoulders and touched his forehead to the guy's forehead and just stood there about five minutes in the middle of rush hour in downtown Manhattan, which is a long time. Michael stepped back and said, uh, just stepped back, and the homeless guy said, holy shit. And Michael said, yeah, something like that. <laughs> so, yeah. And yeah. the other was there was a guy, after he was dead, there was a guy lying in front of St. Francis who had on three pairs of pants undone, no shirt. And I went up to him, and Michael used to fold a dollar bill lengthwise when he gave people money just to make it seem less like a handout. So I did that, and I gave it to him. I said, this is from Father Michael Judge. And he stood up, and he said, Father Michael Judge was my spiritual advisor. And mm-hmm. there's a little courtyard next to the church with a poor box. And he walked into there, put the dollar bill in the poor box, and walked off. <laughs> wow. Michael Judge on September 11th was the... Um, was the chaplain of the fire department. There's a remarkable video that's available online of some remarks that he made just the previous day uh, to a at a dedication of, of a firehouse in the Bronx. But um, Michael Daly, tell us a little bit about that that day. You know, he's designated as the first fatality. He shows up at Ground Zero. There's a video, the last that I've seen of him, shows him seemingly mumbling to himself, kind of it seems almost like he's praying to himself. Paint a little bit of a picture about what he found when he got there and what he did in this moment of crisis. I think he never spoke to himself. I think that was praying. That was Michael praying. Um, he, uh, he went down. He, he was in his room at the fiery, and uh, someone told him that planes had hit the trade center, so he went right down. He hopped in the car, hopped in a vehicle with a couple of firemen, there was a firehouse across from the fire. We went downtown with them. And he went into the South Tower, I mean, the North Tower, which was the first one hit. Um, and he was in the lobby praying. Um, and it was pretty jarring because the jumpers, you could hear these jumpers you know, resound through the lobby every time they hit. You can see Mike was frightened. Um and he's the only one there that doesn't have a tool or a hose or a radio. You know, this, the only reason for him to be there is to pray and to witness it. And the guy from the fire patrol came up to him and said, Father, I think you need it upstairs. So he went up, and what the guy meant was that there were just bodies. The, the plaza, which is on the next level up, the plaza outside the tower is just littered with bodies. Um, so Michael's standing at a plate glass window praying to God for it to stop. Um, one fireman could hear him praying, praying to God for it to stop, and kind of in answer to that prayer, a body landed right outside the plate glass window and sprayed it with blood. And uh, and then there was a rumbling, and 
Micah must have thought that the tower he was in was coming down. So he ran out into the plaza, but then he must have realized that it wasn't the tower he was in that was coming down. It was the other one. So he ran back into the tower on the second floor, and he's going to the escalators. And meanwhile, the south tower has collapsed, and the windows down on that on the the big windows down the south tower on that side were out. And it's like a hurricane of debris came through those windows and went right up the escalator. Michael must have felt like the thing had circled around and gotten him. And uh, a while later, um, there was a couple of firefighters, including Chief Hayden, who ran the operation in the lobby, came across Michael um, and I think he, he had, didn't have a mark on him. I think he'd literally been frightened to death. Hmm. And, uh, but in the way that, that myths start, um, earlier there had been uh, a guy named Danny Sher was a firefighter, was killed by a jumper um, outside the South Tower. I think he was probably the first firefighter killed. Um, and a call went over the radio for the fire chaplain. Um, I don't think Michael heard that. He certainly didn't get over that way. But between that call and Danny Sher being hit, all of a sudden everybody was saying Michael Judge was killed by a jumper while he was saying last rites for a firefighter outside the tower. That was not true. Um, And then the firefighters who found him in the escalator carried him outside, and they put him by an ambulance. And then the North Tower came down. And his body was hit by debris. I see. Well, we just uh, have we just have about about thirty seconds left, and I, I just yeah. really want to thank you for 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 joining us. And the, the story that you tell that was just a, a moment of it. There's a poignant moment where you report that Chief Pfeiffer was saying over the PA system, "Don't jump, we're coming to get you." And and this this was the final chapter for 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 Michael Judge. I want to thank Michael Daly for joining thank us today, you. and and. And helping it, the book is called The Book of Michael, The Surprising Life and Heroic Death of Father Michael Judge. It is a remarkable tale. You'll find yourself giggling at times. You'll find yourself crying at other times. He was a hero to people who had AIDS, people that were alcoholics, all New Yorkers, and especially for firefighters. And I want to thank Michael Daly for joining us. And perhaps the last thing for this show is he had his own prayer, and I'm going to read it to you because it's got its own cleverness to it. Lord, take me where you want me to go. Let me meet who you want me to meet. Let me say what you want me to say and keep me out of your way. That was Father Michael Judge's prayer.